Our Old Testament lesson is taken from Proverbs chapter 3, and it reads from verses 1 through 13. After our reading of this text, I will then also provide a commentary about this text. And of course, um, then after that, we will go into what's called the Common Responsory on page 230. After each of our lessons, we will use that common responsory. There are three verses with the alternating verse of your word is a lamp to my feet. The emphasis being that God's word, confirmands God's word, is something that will become absolutely the most significant gift that God could give you in your life. Reading from Proverbs chapter 3, and uh, confirmands, if you want to actually grab, if anybody, grab your Bibles also to follow along. We'll take this a step at a time. We'll read the whole thing to start with. My son, do not forget my teachings, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor in a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, as a father the son he delights in. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, and the man who gains understanding." Let's take a look at that first verse. My son, do not forget my teachings, but keep my commands in your heart. You know what that means? That means that this confirmation instruction has got to go from this part of your body into this part of your body. It is something that you are to love. And I know that when you go through your confirmation instruction and you got to be there every Tuesday and the pastor expects you to be there every Sunday and you've got to memorize and you've got to take a test and you've got to write a paper and then you've got to stand in front of all those people and you're going to have to confess your faith. All of that is like it's all up here. And then when you grow up, you've got to put it all down here. You've got to love it more than anything else. He tells us why. He says, because they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. He goes on to say in verse 3, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. That word love there is translated a number of different ways mercy and truth. You remember how Jesus said, he said there that mercy is the most important thing 
but it doesn't mean anything if you don't know how to be merciful, why to be merciful. What is the truth that you've been taught that's the truth above all truths? That God has loved you and given his own son to die for you. He has had mercy on you. That's true. And now he wants you to have mercy on those who are around you. Every time you see somebody make the sign of a cross, and that's okay for us as Lutherans to do that, I want you to think about how it is that God gave you his mercy and how it is that you should give that mercy to those who are around you. Verse 4, then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Again, God and you and you and other people. People will actually think highly of you if you can learn the truths of God's word and how that mercy is something that you should give to others. I always like verse 5. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. That is to say, you're not going to always understand what God is doing in your life. You're not going to understand it. And there are times in which even what we believe as Christians is going to seem so unreal that there's something waiting for us beyond death. And you have to be able to trust in that and believe in it beyond your capacity to be able to tangibly come to believe in it. To, to, you have to trust in it. He says in verse 6, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. So God's going to actually be the one who's going to go in front of you, and he's going to clear the way, so to speak. Verse 7 do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Don't always think that the way that men think is the way that God thinks. And don't think that if you are smart in the eyes of the world, that that's going to make you smart in the eyes of God. You've got to think with God's mind, not just your mind. In verse 8, this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. You're going to actually live a happier life. Verse 9 tells us something about what we call stewardship. We haven't talked a lot about that. Your parents probably tell you about it. They used to give you a dollar or a quarter or whatever it might be to put in the offering plate, right? When it came by. Now they, this text is telling you that it is now the time for you to recognize that you have something to give back to God. We talk about time and treasure and talent. But our treasure... We give back to God and not what's left over, but the first fruits. We give it to him first. We give him our time, not what's left over or when we can fit him in, but the very first thing, the unchangeable thing, the thing that we give to him before we give to anybody else, including our parents and anybody else in the world. We give it to him. And that's what worship is. He says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your, all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with 
new wine, meaning God's going to give be the one to prosper you. But what we want to do is we want to honor him first. Then in verse 11, it's going to be a reality here, you guys. There is going to be times when you're going to feel God's chastisement. That means God's discipline. You've had parents and grandparents who probably have, well, they have taught you and they have disciplined you and they have sent you to your room. When I was growing up, we had this thing called a stick. And sometimes that stick was there for the purpose of teaching you something you may not understand. And he uses the same word here. Lord sometimes chastises, disciplines his children. He says, as a father, the son he delights in. Then he uses the phrase in verse 13, Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding. We turn to our responsory. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Unite my heart to fear your name, that I may walk in your truth. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This reading is from 1 John chapter 4, and it's verses 1 through 12. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come into the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are then are, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. And John, in this lesson, he's writing to the church, and the church is experiencing some difficulties. And these difficulties are false teachers, not that have come from outside the church, but people from inside the church that have left 
the church and aren't following Christ. And so he's telling them how to know these spirits. And these spirits of the Antichrist, it later tells us that God is in you and God is not in them. And these spirits are going to cause temptations. And you have to test these spirits. Do they believe that God is man? That God came to earth? That God entered this creation? That God died for your sins? This is how you recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. And then he goes on in verse 4 and says, You dear children. He wasn't writing this to a bunch of 13, 14, 15 year olds back then. He was writing this to all the people of the church. We are all children to God. And we're supposed to test and know who we're up against. And you guys, and all you guys, are going to be up against everybody that would tempt you away from this faith. Everybody that would say, hey, come here, we ought to go do this. And you can fill in what this is. You might get to college, it might be, let's go to this party. You might have a boyfriend or girlfriend later says, hey, you know what, we're off here at school, we just ought to live together for a while and see how it works. And you're going to be tempted by these spirits that are not of God. So you have to be able to recognize who they are and what they are, and if they truly believe in Christ and what he has done. Does love tempt us? Does love tempt us? If God is love, does God tempt us? No. God does not tempt us. He sometimes allows us to be tested, but he does not tempt us. God loves us. God loves us so much that he has given his son, and that's what we are to put our faith in and believe. Dear children, you are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one that is in the world. This one that is in you, Christ in you. Pastor talked about making the sign of the cross and how it doesn't seem a very Lutheran thing to do. But in your baptism, you stood back there, and the sign of the cross was made upon your forehead and upon your heart to mark you as, re as redeemed by the one crucified, to mark you as one that belongs to Christ. And when you are confirmed, the sign of the cross will be made upon you again. And at the end of the service, every week, you hear the ironic blessing and the sign of the cross is made upon you and the entire congregation to mark you as one crucified, that is, that is, that, that mark you as one belonging to the one that's been crucified. And that is your marking that you are in Christ. It's good to do that, to remember that when you say your prayers and in church. Um, they are from the world and therefore speak from the world and from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. Many of your friends will be of the world. And many of your friends will listen to those of the world. And you've got to be different. You've got to be of Christ. 
you're just all of us we're just passing through this world we are we really are aliens christ was an alien to this world he came into creation he'd born a man and he left this world after being crucified and we will leave this world too one day when we die but we will have eternal life in heaven because of christ we are from god and whoever knows god listens to us but whoever is not from god does not listen to us this is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood and then let us love one another for love comes from god everyone who loves has been born of god and knows god whoever does not love does not know god because god is love this is how god showed his love among us he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him this is love not that we have loved god but he has loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins dear friends since god since god so loved us we also ought to love one another this is that cross relationship god comes down in christ his love comes to us and then this horizontal part where we love one another we love one another in the church we love one another outside the church but in the church we have this relationship that is god first comes to us and then he allows us to love one another and outside of christ that true love for each other cannot be if you want to have a great marriage got to have a spouse that loves Christ, as you do. It's very difficult to be in the world bound to someone who is not bound to Christ with you. This is one of those temptations that you will have to face. And you do face these, and Christ gives you the strength. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and His love is made complete in us. All the love you have in you comes from Christ. All the true love you have comes from God. The world thinks it has love, but unless it knows Christ, that's impossible. It's a false love for the things that the world loves. But you have the love of Christ that gives you a perfect love and a forgiving love and the ability to love one another. Continue with our responsory. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Unite my heart to fear your name, that I may walk in your truth. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Our Holy Gospel is taken from Mark chapter 10, and it reads from the 17th verse in this way. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. 
One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And Peter said to him, We have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. May be seated. I'm not going to spend a lot of time just going verse by verse, but I want to do a little summation here in this text. We know, of course, that this young man that came to Jesus, we know he was very, very rich. And he was young. It is my belief that he was probably from the family of the high priesthood in Jerusalem. And that family was related to a family in Alexandria, Egypt, that was so wealthy that they would finance all the military campaigns of the Roman armies. That is to say, if you can imagine that one family could pay for all of the war in Iraq, maybe a trillion dollars today, and then they would be paid back by the government. Can you imagine how wealthy they were? These two things kind of go together. One, that a person trusts in themselves and in their works and deeds as though these were spiritual riches with which one could buy heaven, eternal life, God's favor. That and the idea that wealth and money is something that both says that you are very important, that guarantees for you happiness in your life, and that will, in a sense, be a mark of a person who truly has been blessed by God. In other words, if you got lots of money, then maybe that must mean that God is blessing you and showing his favor to you. Of course, what happens is that Jesus in this text destroys both of those things. This young man came to Jesus and he was sincere. He wanted to know what it took to get eternal life. And instead of Jesus saying, kind of like your pastor would in your confirmation class, oh, you, come on, kids, you can't work your way into heaven. You have to know it's a gift. He goes the opposite direction. And he says, well, all right, you want to 
find your way into heaven, you know the commandments, don't you? And he reads through basically a summary of the Ten Commandments. And he looks at him with honesty in his eyes and says, all these I've done since I was a boy. Had he really? Or had he only kind of done them on the outside? Maybe he was actually so rich, he didn't have to deal with common people and people that were going around being mean and cruel. He could just simply buy his way beyond all the people with their poverty and all their problems and all their diseases and all the things that would make it hard for him to be able to live in the world. All these I've done since I was a boy. So Jesus says, there's one thing you lack. And he gives to him the right to do something that is the highest privilege in the kingdom of God. He says, go sell everything that you have and just give it away. And come and follow me. Did he make the right choice? Being rich in this life, but giving up the opportunity to enter into eternal life? I think you're going to be faced with the same problem. It isn't going to be that you're going to be faced with giving up a trillion dollars. Sure, it would seem like it would be really hard. But how about just your free time? How about giving up the accolades of being a famous person, a famous athlete, or a famous writer, or being a person who would make lots of money in business and you'd never have time for God or His Word or the Kingdom of God. Jesus said, you know how hard it is for a rich man, spiritually rich person who thinks that they can earn their way into heaven, financially rich, so a person thinks that their money is what makes their life important. You want to know how hard it is? It's the same thing as a camel going through the eye of a needle. Now, some people have tried to find ways to explain this. Like, maybe there was a door in the side of the wall of Jerusalem they called the eye of the needle, and a camel would have to really get down really low to get in. But Jesus is trying to make a statement that's so absurd. Little eye of a needle, you haven't probably seen one, because you're all buying your clothes nowadays instead of making them. But the eye of a needle is that small. And they knew immediately that it was impossible for that to happen. They said, who then can be saved? Because, my goodness sakes, wealth buys you that opportunity, doesn't it? Wealth makes it possible for you to be important in God's sight. No. What do we know? That what's impossible for men that this is only possible with God. God is the one who in your baptism took you through the eye of the needle. God is the one who's going to give you the Lord's Supper tomorrow for the forgiveness of your sins and it isn't something that anybody can purchase with money. God is going to be the one who's going to take your bodies out of the grave where they are rotting and he is going to raise them up and unite them with your souls and he is going to allow you to live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever in his presence and it will never be without end. Just think about it. What would you give up for that? Would you sell everything that you have, give it to the poor? Would you be willing 
to give everything in your life for that. Well, even that you can't do unless God is the one who moves your heart. Well, then Peter kind of ends this whole discussion in kind of an interesting way. He says, we've left everything to follow you. The exact opposite of the person who has everything but can't give it up is a person who gives something up and then pats himself on the back and says, aren't I wonderful because I just gave up so much for you, God. And Jesus is saying, believe you me, whatever it is that you think you're giving up for the kingdom of God, God is going to turn around and give far, far, far more to you. He is going to give to you a happiness in this life with house and home and land and animals and everything that you have in life. He's going to supply that. But he's also going to supply you with everlasting life. Today, you're very, 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 very rich. And you're very, 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 very perfect. But not because of who you are, but because of what Christ has done for you. Amen. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Unite my heart to fear your name, that I may walk in your truth. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I would ask the confirmands to please rise and please come forward. Beloved in the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ said to his apostles, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all things I have commanded you, and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You have been baptized and catechized in the Christian faith according to our Lord's bidding. Jesus said, whoever confesses me before men I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Lift up your hearts, therefore, to the God of all grace, and joyfully give answer to what I now ask you in the name of the Lord. Do you this day in the presence of God and of this congregation acknowledge the gifts that God gave you in your baptism? Do you renounce the devil? Do you renounce all his works? Do you renounce all his ways? Do you believe in God the Father Almighty? Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord?
Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Do you hold all the prophetic and apostolic scriptures to be the inspired word of God? Do you confess the doctrine of the Evangelical Lutheran Church drawn from the scriptures as you have learned to know it from the small catechism to be faithful and true? Do you intend to hear the Word of God and receive the Lord's Supper faithfully? Do you intend to live according to the Word of God and in faith, word, and deed to remain true to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even to death? Do you intend to continue steadfast in this confession in church and suffer all, even death, rather than fall away from it. We rejoice with thankful hearts that you have been baptized and have received the teaching of the Lord. You have confessed the faith and have been absolved of your sins. As you continue to hear the Lord's word and receive his blessed sacrament, he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. Kylie, please kneel. Kylie, the Bible verse that has been chosen from you is for you is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. Remember these words. The cross and this message is foolishness. The world won't understand it. You have the ability to be able to express and to share with people a foolish message. But that message is something that is going to save both you and those who hear your word. God bless you as you become for him a spokesman of his word. Thank you. Anna, please kneel. Anna, your Bible verse is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Well, Anna, you are going to be a person who is going to be convincing to other people. And it is something that's going to compel you with something that's far more than just your own will and choice. God is going to move you to do that. You're going to have to convince people that Jesus died for them, and it's going to be easy because he died for absolutely everybody. But not everybody understands that. And so you're going to be a person who is going to tell them what they cannot understand themselves. He died for them too. Thank you. John, John, your Bible passage is taken from Acts chapter 20, verse 32. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. When I say I commit you to God, that means, John, that you no longer belong to me or to your parents. It means that you belong to God. And what it is that we're committing you to is to be in charge of something. 
the word of His grace, which means God's unconditional love and favor that is given to the unworthy in this life. And this is a grace that can build you up like a good athlete, a good athlete who knows how to be able to strengthen his muscles by doing something every day to challenge himself. And as you keep that word, as you stand steadfast in this faith, you're going to develop spiritual muscles, John, that will make you into an athlete that's far greater than just being a physical athlete. It's something that will give you an inheritance, an inheritance that will lead one day to eternal life. The Lord be with you. Amen. Hayden, please kneel. Hayden, your Bible passage is taken from Matthew chapter 28, and it reads in this way. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I told you, Hayden, when you made your presentation that you had pasture blood in you. And that's what these words are. They are saying, go into the world and make disciples, teach people, baptize them, but go and get out there. And then he has a promise for us, a promise for you. He says, I am with you always to the very end of the age, to the end of your life, to the day that Christ comes back once again. So be faithful to that pasture blood in you, okay? And bring the word to the world in which you live. Sydney? Your text is taken from Romans chapter 1. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes for the Jew, and then for the Gentile. These are the words that also eventually opened the door to Martin Luther to understand what the gospel was. That we have actually been given a gift of heaven and eternal life. And in that is an enormous amount of power. The word here is used is dynamite. It is the dynamite of God. It changes people's lives. It changes people's hearts. And what I want you to do is to remember never, ever, ever to be ashamed because in that gospel you have your greater glory. Lord be with you. Max? Your text is taken from Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with our Lord Jesus, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Max, this teaching of justification by faith is a pearl, a gem that has been given to us through the Holy Scriptures that God actually has declared you by virtue of this faith that you so beautifully confessed the other night that God has declared you and pardoned you and made you his own and he has simply spoken the word and you have a gift from him that cannot be taken from you. You're going to have forgiveness for all your life. You're going to have the hope of eternal life. You're going to have 
an opportunity of being able to pray to God and have your prayers heard by him. And therefore, what's on the inside, this peace that you will now have for the rest of your life, is a gift that God has given to you. The Lord bless you so that you keep that peace right there in your heart. Amen. Cool. Cool, your passage is taken from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The Apostle Paul Cole says, you have been saved. He doesn't say you will be saved. That is to say that he has already given you something. It's kind of like having Christmas in July. You have been given your present already. The question is, are you going to use that gift as the source of your joy and your happiness as a Christian? It's not something that we look for. It's not something that we wait for. It's not something that we have to anticipate because we haven't yet got it. It's yours today. But remember, it is something that's given to you by faith. And therefore, your faith has to be kept alive as you focus upon this. And every day of your life, every breath that you take is a gift from God. A gift. And when you remember that, it will keep you steadfast in this faith until the day that you meet Christ in heaven. Peace be with you. Allie, your text is taken from Acts chapter 20, verse 32. I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. I would well imagine that as your parents have been saying, goodbye to their children and they commit them to what the future is going to hold for them as they go off to school, college, university. They have to turn them over. And today, tonight, tomorrow, you're going to be turned over. They're no longer you're theirs. You're, you are no longer theirs. But now you belong to God and to His grace and for the rest of your life, you are going to walk in this wonderful word of his grace that is going to keep you and all your heart and soul steadfast and safe in the hands of a gracious and loving Savior who will never leave you and never forsake you. The Lord be with you as you now enter into the world to be that person. In Jesus' name, amen. Please rise. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your great goodness in bringing these, your sons and daughters, to the knowledge of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and enabling them both with their heart to believe and with their mouth to confess his saving name. Grant that bringing forth the fruits of faith, they may continue steadfast and victorious to the day when all who have fought the good fight of faith shall receive the crown of righteousness through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever.
Almighty, most, first, most merciful Father, in the waters of holy baptism you have united your children in the suffering and death of your Son, Jesus Christ, cleansing them by his blood. Renew them in the gift of your Holy Spirit, that they may live in daily contrition and repentance with a faith that ever clings to their Savior. Deliver them from the power of Satan and preserve them from false and dangerous doctrines, that they may remain faithful in hearing Christ's word and receiving his body and blood. By the Lord's Supper, strengthen them to believe that no one can make satisfaction for sin but Christ alone. Enable them to find joy and comfort only in him, learning from his sacrament to love you and their neighbor and to bear their cross with patience and joy until the day of the resurrection of their bodies to life immortal. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.